Hey folks, Mark Scroggins with another episode of Family Law Talk. Here we have a number of other, well, all the male lawyers from uh, Scroggins Law Group. Everybody introduce themselves, starting from the right. I'm Stephen DePaul. And I'm John Withers. Blake Rudd. All right. Well, we were all just talking about uh, some of the unwritten rules in baseball, which I find to be total bullshit. But um, the unwritten rules of the sport itself, just for clarification. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, I shouldn't say that. I kind of like baseball. Baseball is uh, a great sport. It's, it's, it's perfect. Sport. You know, it's interesting because talking to people that are like from the Northeast, it's huge. It's like a religion up there. But yeah, it's totally different. Uh, it's well, a, it never really seems to me that it got much traction in Dallas. Well, that's untrue because up until. Uh, probably the mid, late 50s or 60s, it was the sport. Kids played baseball nine months a year. Football was the filler, and now it's reversed. But. It completely has reversed. Right. It still doesn't change my opinion that it, you know, that it has never really caught on here as, you know, compared to I other think, sports. Yeah, football has uh, super, superseded it as the sport. By far. And I think, I think soccer uh, is... Uh, nipping on its heels. Yeah, I, agree. I mean, you can actually, you look at the, uh, so we just got, you know, we've got tickets to the FC Dallas games. And um, in talking to them, you know, the before the before COVID started, Atlanta was pulling 70,000 a game wow. for the soccer. In fact, if you've ever been there on a game day, the mass transit, the MARTA in Atlanta, uh-huh. it is, it's like being in the UK on a game day, like being a part of London. They're equivalent of the two, Everybody's wearing scarves, which in Atlanta, is, it's not right. really and scarf they, country. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're wearing the jerseys. But more than that, all up and down all the trains and all the train platforms, they're singing the songs before the game, during the game, after the game. What do you, what do you attribute that to? Because that certainly isn't the case here. I I, I, no, uh, it was unique to Atlanta. I don't know how how it grew there. There are other places where I thought it would be more natural fit, like down in South Florida. Um, and my parents have lived in Atlanta for years. And I thought that the, having a franchise there was not going to be any big deal. But I've, like many things in life, I was wrong. You know, just like when I said email was going to be a fad. Right. Same same deal. Wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Portland and Seattle have been huge too. Huge. And I'll tell you what, they're just putting in the new Miami franchise. Yeah. Which is, and they've also got uh, they've got some other big sports figures or people uh, from Hollywood that I think they're. Playing on banking on that, yeah. so like they just started uh, Austin's new team, Austin FC, and Tennessee. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, he's one, is, of, the uh, one of the owners. Yeah. Is it a is it a major league team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and they're thinking that this is going to be you know turn it into a big rivalry with with Dallas, and then I think LA's got a second team now. So you had the Galaxy, and then right. is it Los Angeles FC or right. F- whatever? And the, and the second team, uh, Will Ferrell's. Yeah, one Will Ferrell's one, one of the owners. owners. They've done well lately. But and then I think Beckham's one of the owners of the new Miami team. That's exactly. Yeah, he was the driving force behind getting the that's team. That's amazing. Yeah. But don't people always want to watch the best? They do. And so won't we always be second tier to what's overseas? And how do you overcome that when you're only getting the best players at the end of their career when the teams in the best league don't want them anymore? Well, so I would say, so that's a great question. And so the... Will it always be that way? I don't know if it will always be that way. It's, but this is a big step from from where it was, and at least now MLS is getting people at the end of their career. What's uh, what's his name? Uh, the the guy that was with the LA Galaxy is that is Swiss Swiss Abramovich or uh, Ibrahimovic? Yeah, yes. That, 
that yeah. dude is yeah. something else. And now he's gone back and he's he's in killing it yeah. after having been here. He's I, he's a monster. He defies time. I don't yeah. know how he does it. But, yeah. So uh, I don't appreciate sports that unless I played them. Right. Guys running around kicking a ball to me. Um, doesn't seem well, all that difficult. What we need to do <laughs> is we need to have a firm football match for money, so we can get the we can get you playing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe I'd have a little more interest because I never watched football or soccer growing up, and never played it really much. And I didn't so. either. Um, but you know, I kind of got interested. Well, I got really interested into Premier League, and then some of the others in Europe. Um, Really, as I have lost more and more interest in, uh, like, the NBA, and, and, and I'm just not into the NBA, uh, and baseball and, and some of the others because baseball is just too slow. It's kind of nice with, uh, with soccer or football that you know it's two hours. That is what it is. Yeah. You know, the clock runs for the entirety. You've got 45 minutes in the front. you got 45 minutes in All the right. back, and you got a little bit of an uh, add-on time. You know, that might be a minute, it might be six minutes, but that's the extent of the 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 match. And so it's kind of cool that you know that's what it what it is. But anyway, go ahead. One of you said if you hadn't played and it doesn't hold your interest, but one of the one of the fascinating things is how we inherit our sports. Right. A lot of it comes from our family. Somebody right. in our family played or you grow up playing because your dad played or your uncle played or they they take you out to play. I know the reason I played soccer or football, my grandfather, you were talking about Europe, my grandfather right. played for Napoli. Right. And so when I was in the crib, I was having the blue Napoli jersey, right. you know, or the onesie for Napoli, which you know, <laughs> I'm sure I'd be fouled. But, you know. Well, and that's the way I, I Play played base, baseball. Yeah. My dad grew up playing baseball. He had to, his mom wouldn't let him go play until he'd done his chores. And then he and the kids got together in the neighborhood and they played ba- baseball nine months a year. And so consequently he played with me play catch in the driveway and I played baseball and I appreciate baseball because that's I played it. And so I appreciate the subtleties of it and so forth. I don't appreciate with soccer. but Yeah. So, I mean, I played baseball and I enjoyed it when I played it, but I, it's so slow to me. It is not action packed. And I guess that is, you know, patience, not one of my better virtues as all of y'all know. Uh, And so I need, something that I find more stimulating. I remember, you know, I will say that the product that Major League Soccer in the States puts on compared to watching, you know, the top teams in Europe, it's different, man. I, I, you know, with obviously with Steve's background of being a professional uh, athlete, uh, soccer player or football player, you know, and I'd go talking to him about some of the shit that I just seen on TV. And I'm like, holy cow, how is that even possible that they could do that? It's insane. So, uh, so where we were going with that folks was, was really talking about kind of some of the, uh, some of the unwritten rules in, in the legal profession and things you do and things you don't do and where there have been changes. And, you know, one of the biggest things is, um, you know, you try not to, as a lawyer, make things personal with the other lawyer. There yeah. should be a, a gap there, right? right? I think I've seen a lot of lawyers who identify way too closely with their clients, and they're yeah. willing to take forward arguments or facts that are really not supported. And uh, I think it, it diminishes the, the uh, profession, but also it, it clogs up the courts. It drives up the cost. It's completely unnecessary. 
the other thing is that you used to be able to uh, make agreements on a handshake. If you said you were going to do something, uh, then lawyers would do it. But right. nowadays, you got to have everything in writing, and then they want to pick that apart. <clears throat> and and so it again, it drives the cost up because you've got to do everything in writing. You got to file it with the court, and then you got to have a hearing if somebody doesn't follow through. Stephen's got a case right now where a guy hasn't followed through with what he said he would do. And right. so we've got to go back to court. And, and frankly, clients can't afford all that stuff. Yeah. So. You know, sometimes I like having that writing anyways because it also gives me control over my client. Well, that's a good point. And if I make a handshake deal with the client and then a handshake deal with opposing counsel, all I have is a handshake. And we all know that doesn't mean much in court. If I have it in writing, I can take that writing to my own client who – we all know they don't always do as we ask them or tell them to do. Um, and you can say, here it is. Here's the order. Here's the agreement we signed as filed with the court. You don't have an option. This is what was you, two weeks ago. This was good for your family. And, and now you're saying it's not, but this is the deal we made. Well, and my, my style is if, you know, if I, if I said we're going to do something and you decide later on that you're not going to do it, then I'm off as your lawyer. I'm out. I'm because it behooves the client that his lawyer or her lawyer can make agreements with the other side and not have to paper everything and to follow through to get this thing done in a reasonable manner. I think you've got to be real careful if you're not papering stuff up. I mean, well, you shouldn't you know, have to be so careful. Well, but you do. I mean, so that's just a fact, you know, so. If that's the way people want to do it. They're going to have to pay us to do all that. Well, I think part of the problem yeah. too, though, is I heard... Well, I can't remember what I was listening to. It might have been Joe Rogan, and they were talking about just living in big cities versus smaller cities. And the point that was brought up was that the more people you add to your general surrounding, the less important each individual and that individual's reputation gets. And so as we are in a profession in Dallas, North Texas, where there's just more and more attorneys, you can burn a bridge with, with 20 attorneys, and you might never come into contact with those attorneys again. Right. And... You know, it's so you well, you get a what a bad Google review maybe, but I mean, there's millions of people people here, potential clients. There's, I don't know, a thousand attorneys that probably do what we do in and around this area. Maybe that's a high number, but your reputation becomes less and less important the more the populace grows around I you. I completely agree with that assessment, and and the the, the contrast is is in the criminal courthouse, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in da- I would say Dallas because there's a separate courthouse that does nothing but criminal. So you tend to see the same lawyers over mm-hmm. and over, and the lawyers tend to deal with the same prosecutors over and over, and you're in front of the same judges over and over. So I, th- I find it a lot more collegial than the family law bar because you're going to see those people again and again, and you're going to have to deal with them again and again. Well, that's the beauty of – well, I don't want to say the beautiful thing about criminal law, but what helps that is that in criminal law – one side is always the same, right? Right. <laughs> it's always the That's state true. versus your client. So you're always dealing with the state. Those right. prosecutors probably have, I, I don't know what their caseload's like. It's a lot. And you're going to be dealing with those same prosecutors exactly. over and over again, where family law, you know, the two sides change. It, it's, you're, yeah. You represent yeah. the husband or the wife or the dad or the mom. Uh-huh. I want to go back to that point on agreements for a minute. Whether I like to paper up the agreements right. too, but I think, one of the things that it's hard to get clients to understand sometimes is whether they're papered up or not, sometimes they don't want to live up to their agreements. Right. And it becomes this, uh, I, what I hear all the time is, I was married to him or I was married to her. She never lived up to her agreement. He never lived up to her, his agreement. He broke it all the time. Why can't I break it now? So why should and, I live right. up to it now? And yeah. so you're at this place in the, in the divorce proceeding 
where the relationship's been torn asunder. There is no good faith anywhere. And in order to, to handle the case more, what does every client want to happen? They want the case to go more quickly, and they want it to be handled more cheaply or more efficiently from a financial perspective. The only way you can do that is if you can rebuild in the context of litigation, You're not trying to rebuild the relationship, but in the context of the litigation, if you can rebuild some of that by showing we will follow, we'll be the first ones. We'll follow through and we'll keep our agreement. And if some trust then rebuilds in the relationship that people are going to follow agreements, then things can happen to John's point, I think, much more quickly and much more smoothly. You're not in, you can paper them up, but you might not have to have five hearings, which is really what drives right. up well, the and cost. Maybe you have two and you come to agreements on the other three matters. And to your point, don't you want to be the person standing in front of that judge? Absolutely. That says, Judge, we, we did what we said we were going to do. They're the ones that didn't. But how do you make room. that argument if there's no paper saying that this is what no, we all I'm said we were going to do? I'm right. not saying we I'm not advocating <laughs> against paper and agreements. I'm, I'm saying in John's that, office. There's you, lots of paper. <laughs> <laughs> I am. My, my point is that you shouldn't have to paper every agreement. Not yeah. everything uh, is necessary to, to generate a, a Rule 11 agreement and file it with the court because there's an expense in that. So give me an example of what you're talking about that you the, you do not think is worthy of a Rule 11 agreement. We'll or produce these, these documents. We're going to voluntarily produce them. You don't have to. You don't have to request them. You don't have to send over a, a, a formal request. But if you if you tell me that, I'm the one that's going to request the writing because then if you don't follow through, okay then then I mean, I've got you, something. You haven't worked with John Withers before. Right. Well, that's. Okay. And if everybody was as honorable as John, right. maybe That's we wouldn't thing. have to do this. Yeah. But well, man, you again, and if I tell if I tell the other lawyer we're going to produce documents, and my client backs up on me, then it leaves me hanging out and in a bad position with that other lawyer and, and you, potentially the judge. And you can get out, right? But the other side still without the documents and without an enforceable agreement on uh, to get them. Right, and that's. I guess to my point is we all should be practicing law in that manner. We should all practice law in a way where we can depend on each other to, to follow through on what they said they're going to do. And if they don't, then they need to discipline their client or get off. And that, yeah, yeah. And there's, you know, that, that kind of leads into uh, another area and which is that I think there are an awful lot of attorneys that do a real disservice to their clients in the reason you hire a lawyer is for their advice, right? And the strategy Presumably. that they would implement to try to achieve whatever your goals are. And part of that is telling the client what is and what is not realistic. And right. I think there, unfortunately, are there's some lawyers out there that dabble, you know, in family law. So they don't know what they don't know. Uh, and so that's a huge disservice. Or they don't the have client. the balls to stand up there. And that one's even bigger. They've got no, I've actually heard some people espouse the idea that it's not my position or it's not my responsibility to tell a client what to do or what not to do. Uh, I just, you know, I just follow orders. Well, that is the biggest bunch of bullshit. That's not a service to the client. Exactly. And, and it drives the cost up. And the, the other problem with that is when people start uh, going after these unreasonable expectations, it dilutes it for everybody. Right. You know, and uh, uh, claims of family violence. I've seen, we're seeing a ton of those lately. Yeah, with it, and I don't know if it's because of COVID or whatever, but too many people are willing to uh, make these allegations of family violence that ordinarily you wouldn't make. But, but they make these. And, and so then the courts have a hard time discerning which ones are valid and which ones aren't. 
Because everybody's claiming family violence. Well, and I remember you and I discussed this right when I first joined your law firm because right. I had faced a just a stream of bullshit protective orders. Yeah. yeah. And you file them, and then you're forced to basically litigate an entire case on a very short timeline without discovery. And if you lose, your client's screwed for the rest for of the, the litigation. for the rest of the divorce yeah. because he can't even see his kids. So what are you going to fight for on custody? Now they're going to use family violence for division of property, and it's a way to force it. They serve you, you know, with very little notice, minimum amount of notice before the hearing. Trial and then, by ambush. Uh huh. And then exactly you have to go and try the entire case without any preparation, without any depositions, without any documentation, without experts, without experts. And now I have not had as much of that recently. I hate to hear that you're doing that, but I remember specifically talking to Mark about that one because I had just finished a number of those on yep. my own. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, and that's unfortunate. You know, unfortunately, there's certain firms out there that are known for yep, for doing this routinely, um, and you know, and we're not one of them. No, exactly, and and never would be. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, if you need a protective order, by God, we will go Absolutely. and we will file it and fight. You know, <laughs> fight to the death, so to speak, yeah. for it on that. Right. But there are too many people that it's like they are looking for any opportunity no matter how much of a stretch to be able to utilize that exactly there's so many as Blake has mentioned. Yeah, there's so many incentives built into the law to encourage people to make those allegations. Yeah, oh, and it's a shame that, no, you know, A, the law needs to be changed. B, I wish that the judiciary would get more aggressive when Absolutely. they see some of these bullshit things done to award attorney's fees to the other, uh, you oh, know, yeah. to the other side, if, to the defending side that was that was successful and hammer them. Right. Yeah. I agree. You, you discourage a lot of people yeah. that way. Yeah. Well, and then one of the things I was, I saw was on our list potentially today was uh, associate judges. Yeah. And so I have defended protective orders in an associate court in Dallas County and you go and it's trial by ambush, but you get them right. You, you point out all the holes in their story and the AJ rules in your favor and you think, all right, well, what did you do? You just laid down the perfect guide for them to right. then come back and press the same. Made all your hands. Uh-huh. De Novo appeal. Out. And then there's a De Novo appeal, and you've told them exactly what holes they need to fill in on their story. And they do. And they will. Or they force you into some settlement because they know they've got you. Right. So um, I know we were going to talk about AJ's maybe later, but that's I have I have some opinions on that. Well, wow. and we'll talk about that yeah. more. And so just so people understand what a De Novo appeal is, can you explain that? Um, sure. I'll give him my, my, he is understand. a resident Latin scholar. I That's exactly. right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You Did you just say explain your... or translate? <laughs> yeah. Translate. Translate. Uh, yeah. uh, something about new. Uh, <laughs> uh, so de novo pill in, in Dallas County is the county we deal with the most. Um, they have two types of judges, basically, right? You have your district court, like all counties, um, and then in Dallas, to help, my understanding is to help with the volume of cases that they face, Right. they have associate, associate judges, which right. are, you know, your district judges, whether it's a good practice or not, are elected, um, and then they appoint their AJs, um, and AJ is associate judge. Uh, most of the time, AJs hear non final orders, non-final right. hearings. Right. And so that says, yeah. hey, look, uh, if, if you come in here and you lay an egg, it's okay. You're going to, we're, we're just making temporary rulings. Um, and so you don't, you don't have to have the top judge for that. Now that for some reason does not apply to protective orders, 
which is treated like a final judgment when you go in there. Right. And it's so a final trial. it's final a final trial. trial. That is really bizarre. Within it is, weeks of being, days of being served. Yeah, that's just bizarre. Within within days of being served, with the implications we've already talked about, and you are, it, it, let's say the defendant is successful. Let's say that, you know, um, yeah, let's say the defendant is successful. Well, without actually having to jump through the, any of the, the hoops of an actual appeal, they just get to follow a notice within three business days. And it's as simple as that. They get a whole nother crack out of do over, yeah. a do over in front of a new judge. And Thank God for that. I'm kind of folks <laughs> is basically a de novo appeal. Yeah, it's a right. do over. It's a yeah. do over. You know, you had a nice dress rehearsal. You That's know, right. right. And now you can it's, get the kinks out in terms yeah. of the performance. And then you go to the big court and yeah. And I personally think that if you're willing to try your, your final issue in front of an AJ, you should be bound by that decision. Right. That That's, I would love to see that, that change come in. Yeah, I don't see that ever happening. Well, in Tarrant County, do they? Because I know that uh, contempts go straight to the district judge. They don't. Uh, they don't go to AJ's. Contempts? You mean like in enforcement where like people can go to jail? Because yeah. they know one side or the other is always going to appeal it. Appeal it, right? Um, so they don't even they don't even bother with that. And I don't know what the policy is in Tarrant about uh, protective orders, but my guess is you go straight to the the district judge. It should. Have, yeah, it should. Totally agree. It's except for this, because I had this come up ju- just yesterday, and I had a little time between the initial hearing in front of the associate judge and the de novo review in front of the district judge, and I was able to put some stuff together that I would not have been able to put together had it gone straight to the district judge. And it was a good thing, too, because it, it made all the difference. Well, that's where I think that, you know the protective order statute, considering how much is on the line, Needs to be revamped. I mean, do you think there should be more time from the uh, from the time of granting of an emergency protective order to the final trial? And Absolutely, I do right. too. That could be not, within days. Yeah. yeah, not just time. I think the consequence for filing anything that's false or frivolous in the protective order. Well, it, it, yeah, you're walking a fine line there, though, because right now it's just take your shot. And right. if you fail, oh, right, well, you know, I took my shot. But the counter-argument to that would be, well, if you make the punishment of not winning your protective order or coming well, off as, as as frivolous, you might discourage certain people from, because you got to understand, I understand what you're saying, but a lot of these people are already coming in. Out, there are a lot of people that need protective orders. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. And sure. they part of, of being in an abusive relationship is a lack of confidence, a lack of sticking up for oneself. And then, in addition to being told, you know what's going to happen to you if you try to fight me back, if you throw a statute on top of that that says, hey, well, and if you're unsuccessful and my lawyer says that, you know, you get to pay my you're frivolous, you're, you're also going to get popped with this, this, and this. But there's a middle ground. There, there. is a middle ground, I think. we go in for enforcements, and sometimes we are successful in the enforcement, but we don't get attorney's fees. And mm-hmm. there are often times when things are dismissed, but sanctions aren't applied. Those, but if there aren't some teeth to abusing that practice then there's an incentive to abuse that practice. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the tragedies of abusing that practice is you bring. there are real grounds for protective orders. But when judges start to hear a deluge of cases, specious cases on protective orders, I think it, it erodes and waters down the real serious protective order sure cases. And so, you know, that's another reason I why agree. I think it would make sense to crack down. Which on. brings up the whole question, should judges be appointed? Or should they be elected? Oh gosh, that's a whole other conversation. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Golly, don't get us started. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean that to me, I think is part of the part of the issue because the judiciary is worried about getting reelected. Well, or are they? Because with partisan elections, sometimes they have the cover of their 
their political party, and they're not worried about getting reelected. Yeah, they're insulated from getting reelected. Well, I mean, so right now, you know, Dallas has totally flipped, right? Uh, and did you know a number of years back? Arguments are being made that that's going to happen in Collins sooner sooner rather than later. Um, you know, so I don't think you can say that people aren't concerned about it. No, uh, I, no, even, I'm talking about the, the the judges who are who are elected aren't right. concerned about it because all they have to do is is convince about half of the electorate in their in their party's uh, primary. So they they don't have to worry about everybody. They're not accountable to the entire electorate. Well, I understand that argument. I mean, I think still. I mean, this just kind of gets into my negative uh, belief in politics in general that if that part of the right you know part of the process is as soon as you get elected your number one uh goal is to get reelected. no i agree so. i think it needs to be re- revised and I, yeah. I think the first thing we need to do is is remove the partisan uh politics from it because <laughs> how does that do you figure that one out john you're gonna fix a lot of oh, problems a lot of states do that <laughs> yeah a lot that we do it with our city you, our municipal elections are nonpartisan, and so are our school elections so you're saying judges would not run as yes. a blue or a red? Correct. Correct. And that is true in a lot Could of states. Could I add one more suggestion Correct. in on this? I, I generally like open elections and electing officials. Mm-hmm. I would like minimum experience requirements for a judge. If you're are, you run, run, are you running for you mean judge? You have to have qualifications? <laughs> you know, if you're going to run well, for... Well, you don't currently. I know, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. You just have to have five years experience to be a district judge. Some basic test of that you were a good attorney, you know? Or at least understood the law, right? Um, because we've all been in front of judges before, and you're you're thinking, "Wow, this you know, is, this is Blake endearing himself to the judiciary." <laughs> yeah, no, no, no local judges around here, <laughs> right? None, nobody we know, right? Yeah. I had some stuff, and when well, yeah. he practiced in another state under another name, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's right, Mr. Travinsky. Uh-huh. You know, when he was practicing no. in Illinois, yeah. yes. What was uh, my cousin Vinny when yes. he was? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, all this kind of gets interesting. So we were talking about all the different unwritten rules. So we kind of went over into this area with the protective orders. I mean, what other unwritten rules do you see out there uh, or that need to be adhered to? Well, I I think not every um, contest is a is a contest to the death. Right. You know, we've got to we have to do this every day. Right. And and so not every contest is a contest to the death. It's not a death match. It's, right. And you can hit hard and knock the other guy down, but you don't have to take out his knee, you know? Right. I, I see a lot of that where they uh, lawyers are willing to go take out your knee, and it's not necessary. Yeah. I, I, you know, good lawyers understand the playing field. Right. They understand we're arguing between these two points. This is what's at stake. We're going to end up somewhere in here. Right. The And... I think that's an unwritten rule in some ways because there are other lawyers. They don't understand. It might as well be pro se. They don't understand the playing field. If a client comes in to me and they don't, they've been living here for most of their life. There's a suit filed here. Dad's been here most of his life and says, okay, but I want you to get me custody and I want to be able to move away to another state or another country. The first thing I have to tell them, it's my unfortunate duty to tell them. Exactly. There's a very slim chance right. that that's going to happen. Here are the one or two ways maybe that that could happen if we can leverage this. But most likely that's never, ever going to happen. And I see other attorneys, and this is what drives up litigation costs mm-hmm. here, who'll tell their clients, 
it, we'll get it for you. We can get that for you. We can make it happen. We're good lawyers here. We, we'll, where do you want to live? You know, spin the globe. We'll, right. we'll get you there. And it, it's just not possible. Right. It ain't going to happen. And, you know, John and I worked on a case together uh, where we would enter into new fo- informal negotiations. We'd offer a certain amount of visitation time. Very disagreeable. We're going to go in there. We're going to have a hearing. Okay. They came out the first time with less time than we offered. Right. Okay? Right. So you think there's a learning curve. So we go in the second time. We offer them. You know, this time. <laughs> oh, no. We're going to go in there and have it. We're going to flip custody. The judge tells them, if I hear one more word, any word about flipping custody, which isn't going to happen. You know, it's just like to my cousin. This Vinny, was on temporary don't orders. Don't say another word. Right. right? And she did. She right. said, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But the other lawyer had his client. He, he was prepared to expectation. F- I'm going to flip this custody today for you here at temporary order. Not going to happen. They went and argued again. Got less time than we offered. Again, you would think now, you know, you do this two or three times, people will wise up and say, all right, let's see what's possible to make a deal here so we're not spending money that can be spent on the kid. But Well, and the downside is while um, the, the client who's trying to flip custody might not mind paying for it, right? our client has to has pay to for pay it for too because she's got to defend herself and pay us to go in there. And that's and why I think it's, it is an unwritten rule between lawyers that you sure. should. Yes, on this field of play, we will fight like hell and you will be collegial about it we'll fight like hell shake hands at the end of it but we have to agree that this is the field of play that's you know? yeah my some of my least expensive cases are when i have the best attorneys on the other absolutely. side absolutely yeah. agree yes, more sir. i always yeah. want yes. they're like oh is that attorney you know, clients did, never did, believed did that my either. husband hire a it's good attorney i'm like well I yes so. i hope so <laughs> yeah what do you mean well yeah. let me I've tell even, you how it goes if he hires a bad one yeah right and i've even counseled clients who, who have, are moneyed or they control the money in their in, in their the community estate, you need to pay for her to have a lawyer and hope that she gets a really good lawyer. Because mm-hmm. believe it or not, it's going to go way easier and way cheaper. Right. And it's counterintuitive. They don't believe you. But yeah. you're absolutely right. Because I, with a good lawyer, you're right. Both sides set expectations. Yep. Right. And then if we can't come to terms, at least both sides can normally agree to this is the playing field. This is These are the things that we should fight right. over this uh, these are the toss-ups if we go into court yeah. Yeah. let's go in there lay out our stories and you know and so let the judge happens. make a decision yeah. right. set the limits of the fight but then you have the not so good attorneys that then want to just pepper it with all these other smaller issues that should never should never see the light of day well it's kind of like one of the, you know things that <laughs> i like to say there are some some lawyers out there who are not not going to let the truth get in the way of a good story that's true too you know so and that's one of the Another you know, unwritten rule. Well, that's right. But I mean, you know, so what we're talking about and in this is kind of related to what has has been a very viable uh, way to conduct a defense uh, in the personal injury realm forever. And that is you make the plaintiff's lawyer spend a lot of money because they're on a contingent fee. So you're trying to burn them out. So now you run into some of that same kind of stuff in family law cases where it's, you know, can he or she afford to pay the tab on something that is just going to be fought tooth and nail, you know, and sometimes someone loses because they can't afford to continue the fight. And if you're in a modification type of situation, the likelihood of getting an award of attorney's fees during the suit is minimal. Right. It can happen, but it doesn't happen very often. Legally, it, I'm going to put you on the spot because I've heard there's there is a way, right? There is. What is it? Do you know off the top of your head? Safety and welfare. That's exactly right. Okay. Safety and welfare show, of the safety children. Safety and welfare of the children. But that's not an easy standard 
so, to meet, and it depends on the judge. And it also encourages frivolous allegations <laughs> yes. of family violence. That's exactly <laughs> right. So you basically say, Judge, I have to file this modification because he's, he's abusing, abusing the my child. children. Exactly. But I also need him to pay my attorney's fees Precisely. to protect our children. Precisely. That's right. Yeah. Oh, and then, yeah. so, and then think about what it takes to get an award of interim fees. Yeah. Okay. It's not just showing that you need it. Where does it come from? And how do you find that out? Because that's not discoverable in a modification. Well, it depends on what the issues are. And so if you, so then when it's brought up, have monies been moved around such that you can't find a source to be able to get it, you know, or, or you get a judge who says, I'll decide that at the, at the uh, final, final trial, trial yeah. which is bullshit. I mean, sometimes that's, that has to happen. So the burden falls on the lawyer right, to hang in and hope he gets paid at the end. Right. So that they're just shifting the burden to the lawyer. That's right. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, shifting it to, you know, in the grocery store. To the uh, to the grocer the, to the grocer. I'll pay you when you know, I get. I'm going to pay it once we make sure that all this food is really <laughs> yeah. good here in a month first. or two. <laughs> right. You know, if I have the money, those cremini mushrooms were shit, so I'm not paying for that. <laughs> right. But you know, so uh, well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I've enjoyed this. We will have to do this again. And uh, everybody, if y'all want to want to reach us, it's the first name of everybody here. You know, at Scroggins Law Group, you can send something to info at Scroggins Law Group. Don't forget, John and Steve are primarily in our Dallas office, right. although they're in Frisco a lot. The rest of us uh, go down to Dallas occasionally, but we're primarily in Frisco. But the uh, same number for both offices, 214-469-3100. Give us a call. We're here to help you. Thanks. Thanks.